My name's Angelo, and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm going to break down the entire UFC Vegas 86 fight card, giving you my picks, predictions, and bets. But before I do, let's look at UFC Vegas 85. Interesting card overall. I did miss a couple of bets. I was down a few units, but the safety parlay continues to be a shining success. We did have success at UFC Vegas 85. Jacob's bets absolutely crushed. He absolutely crushed his bets. His underdog lock of the week, well, that was a no contest because of a wild eye poke. But my premium member safety parlay dominated. We're talking seven in a row, nine of the last 10 ROI that you can only dream of. We also had the best DraftKings ownership projections in the game. So overall, weird card with some soccer kicks and no contest and some sloppy decisions. But we did pretty well as a whole. Here's a closer look at that premium member safety parlay. I am insanely proud of this. The fact that the safety parlay hit on a dicey card. I'm, I'm like pointing over here. I don't know why. The UFC Vegas 85 is not to my left, but I'm pointing at it. The fact that the safety parlay hit on a card like that, just, I, I am, when I tell you I am proud of myself, I'm not, I'm serious. I am genuinely proud of myself. Go browse Twitter. Go browse your favorite cappers on Twitter and let me know how they did. There were people with reverse shutouts. There were people that didn't win a single bet. There were people that lost $1,500, $2,000 on just a couple of bets, just overly exposed to trash fighters, overly exposed to interesting decisions. But either way, the safety parlay remains a beacon of stability. I am proud of this in all seriousness. I have hit nine of the last 10 safety parlays. I have hit seven in a row. It hits at over 70% event average and the lifetime ROI is 31%. I've been doing this for about a year and a half. All of 2023, half of 2022. And we have hit everything in 2024 overall. If you want to unlock the safety parlay, if you want to have access to the most stable bet and the most volatile sport, go to wewantpicks.com, click become a member at the top. It's only $10 a month. We have 10 more weeks of straight fights. It culminates at UFC 300, then we get a week off and then we run it back. That's only $2.50 a week. And premium membership is far more than just a safety parlay, far more than all of my bets and all of Jacob's bets. You're also going to get tools like the line movement tracker. This is going to give you the opening odds, the current odds, the win probability, and the line movement for every single fighter on every single card. You're also going to get the detailed data, metrics, and analytics. 38 columns of information that you can use to find prop bets. That's what I love using this for. Find prop bets, the significant strike prop bets, the takedown prop bets, the round line prop bets, I love using this data for that. You're also going to get the best DraftKings data in the world, and it will be preloaded into the optimizer. This optimizer will build DraftKings fantasy lineups for you. It'll build anything from one lineup to 150 lineups with a couple of clicks. And as I mentioned, it will be preloaded with the best ownership projections in the game. If you don't play DraftKings fantasy, then this doesn't really mean anything to you. If you do play DraftKings fantasy, then you know how wildly important this number is, and you also know that every week I am here showing you the data and showing you that we have the best data in the game. This alone is worth far more than $10. Just companies like Roto Grinders and Awesome O charging $60 to $100 for this data. And you're gonna get way more than just Skinny Ange. I don't know if you notice, I've been losing weight like crazy. Skinny Ange and Baby Red, you're also gonna get Artem breaking down far more than just UFC, the pick doctor. 
This is a human being that developed an artificial intelligence and that AI is picking fights based solely off historical data and is doing it at incredible accuracy. You're going to get the MMA Minute. You're going to get Running Mouth MMA. All of these things and so much more for only $10 a month. I mentioned we are a uh, 10 fights left in this streak. 10 Saturdays of fights. That is 10 Saturdays of all these tools, all the bets, all the insight for only $2.50 a Saturday. What are we doing? $10 a month. We want picks.com. Click become a member. Here's just a quick call to action. If you could, please subscribe. Hit the bell. Do all those things that everybody tells you to do. But here are all of it. We're on every single social. Kick, Rumble, Twitch, Tiki Taki, Instagram. We're, we're everywhere. And it's We Want Picks everywhere. Click, follow, subscribe. Do all the things. We would appreciate it. And finally, if you want to send some mail, send some mail. Every single pay-per-view event, we film a vlog. We hang out, do some fun stuff. So we watch the fights together. And we open the mail. I am positive we have an incredible package from Dr. Y. A very expensive, a very cool package from Dr. Y. That will arrive on Tuesday. And we will debut it to you for Jacob and I's fight on February 9th. Either way, here's the address if you want to send something. If it's letters, we'll read it. If it's clothes, we'll wear it. If it's food, I'll eat it as long as it doesn't look like there's anthrax on it. Let's go ahead and break down this card. Listen, I'll tell you right now. Not a good card. It's not a very good card. But, oh well. We love watching the fights. I love nothing better than a nice Saturday watching some fights. Yesterday, girls had cheerleading. I had to go to Cowboy Stadium for cheerleading nationals. Got home right before the fight started. Sat down. Girls were exhausted from competition. Got to watch the fights. And it was incredible. Even trash fights are fun to watch. Let's go ahead and break down what's a pretty trash card. Opening up, UFC Vegas 86. We have Daniel Marcos taking on Ecori Lang. And this is not a trash fight, actually. So I trashed the card, but this fight... Is not very trash because Daniel Marcos is very good. We're going to find out how good he is. He is undefeated. He's an effective striker. He's got power. He's got accuracy. He does a nice job stringing together combinations while marching forward. He's going to throw one twos. He's going to follow it up with flying knees and elbows. His takedown defense is a solid 89%. He has eight knockouts on his record, seven decisions on his record. So we know that not only is he dangerous, but he also has cardio for three full rounds. He is coming off of a win over Davy Grant. It was not a good win. He did not look very good. He was low volume, didn't do as much as I think he should have, and some people could argue he didn't win that fight. He's taking on Arichi Lang, is how you actually pronounce it. Arichi Lang's a well-rounded guy. He's got incredible pressure and good pace. He can fight a technical fight, or he can get sucked into a brawl. He uses his striking to set up takedowns, and he does have seven total takedowns in the UFC, but he is mostly a striker. He's coming off that decision win over Johnny Munoz, where he dropped him, and took him down a couple of times. I don't agree with the odds on this fight. Right now, Daniel Marcos is minus 200, meaning he's a two-to-one favorite. And maybe before that Davy Grant fight, those odds made sense. But the lack of pressure, the insanely low volume, might not be enough to be a Richie Lang. A Richie Lang is very tough. He continues to move forward regardless of what's happening in the fight. I'm a big proponent. You have heard me say this multiple times. Specifically, I used it for Julia Stolarienko last week saying people are different than their last fight. You can't just look at somebody's last fight and say, this is who they are now. You can't just look at somebody's last fight and say, they're a phenomenal striker. They're a trash striker based off of one single fight. You have to look at the broader body of work. So with that being said, I will not only look at Daniel Marcos's last fight because if I only looked at his last fight, he's not worth this money. And this is a dicey pick. 
if I zoom out, I don't only focus on one single fight and I focus on Daniel's broader body of work, he should win this fight. It should be an quote unquote easy fight for him to win. He should be more technical. He should be busy. He should be in a reaching Lang's face and he should get it done. So Daniel Marcos is the pick. Daniel Marcos that fought Davy Grant has a tough night. Daniel Marcos before the Davy Grant fight should walk through a Corey Lang, a Richie Lang, Key Lang Iori, Iori Key Lang, and he should be able to get it done. Then we have Fernie Garcia taking on Hyder Emil. Fernie Garcia stepping up on short notice. This fight was just announced like yesterday or the day before. Should be an interesting fight. Fernie is, as I just ranted and raved, better than his last couple of fights. We'll go ahead and break this down. We got Hyder Amel. This guy's an aggressive striker. He's going to walk through fire and find that pocket so he can slug it out inside. He's got a solid chin, solid power, sets a nice pace early. He's not a very good wrestler, but he will work fights to the ground. And when he gets the opportunity, he'll take it. On the ground, he's going to throw very heavy bombs. He's going to look for a TKO, but he could accidentally give up some positions and end up in trouble. He is making his UFC debut here after a contender series win this past summer. He's taking on Fernie Garcia. This guy's a pretty well-rounded guy. He has a wrestling background, but the way he fights is primarily a striker. His striking style is forward pressure and counter striker. He's always moving forward, but he loves if you match that aggression so he can counter. He does a really good job moving out of the way of the strikes and then firing back. Typically, when he is on the wrong side of some striking exchanges, that's when he'll reach into that grappling bag, that wrestling bag, and shoot some takedowns. He is coming off, though, his third loss in a row. Most recently, the loss to Rinya Nakamura, where he just had no answer for Rinya's wrestling. I mentioned Fernie stepping up on short notice here. We don't have odds for this fight just yet. I'm going to assume that Hyder is going to be a good size favorite because of their overall records, right? He's undefeated. He's the up-and-coming guy. Fernie's on short notice, three losses in a row, all of that. But you do need to look a little closer at Fernie's losses, right? He's losing to grapplers. He's losing to people that can take him down. He's losing to people that... He can't control. He can't take down like a Rinya Nakamura. He has had some success in those matchups, though. We don't know yet how good Hyder is, but we do know that he ends up in bad positions on the ground, and he is willing to get hit on the feet. We also know he gave up five takedowns on the Contender Series, and he still managed to squeak out a win. If this was a full camp, I actually might pick Fernie here because I don't know if we can trust Hyder's cardio. But we don't have a full kit. We got Fernie on short notice. We got Fernie probably just like, let me take this fight, hopefully make something happen. And if I do the UFC a favor, maybe they'll keep me around a little longer. I think that's what we have here. So Hyder is going to be the pick. We don't have odds yet. As soon as we do, maybe they're great. Maybe I'm wrong and Hyder's going to be the underdog and then he might make some sense. So we'll see what these odds are. If you are a premium member, make sure you have linked your Discord, right? Go to the account page on Premium, click the big-ass button that says Link Discord, and then this way, if we do place a bet on this fight or any other fight, the very second we do that, you get an alert to your phone, and you can look at it and say, oh, this is great, I'll hit it, or nah, pass, put it down, back to the toilet, candy crush, whatever the hell you're doing. I will say the most important day of the week for that or circumstances. One is fights like this. We have two fights on this card without odds yet, so when those odds drop, there might be something meaningful. The other is on Fridays. Fridays, they drop the takedown prop bets, the significant strike prop bets. And when they drop those, those lines immediately move because 
Those are random prop bets. They're just trying to figure out what those odds are. They're putting them on the board and people attack them. So that's why it is important to link the Discord, have your alerts, and be prepared in those situations. We want picks.com. Click become a member if you're not premium already. Then we have Zach Pauga, one of the most frustrating guys to break down. Talented, unreliable. Zach Pauga taking on Bogdan Kuskov. And the Zach Pauga before the UFC and the Zach Pauga during the UFC, his current UFC run, are different people. Before the UFC, he was a strong wrestler. He pumped the jab. He would launch overhands and then shoot takedowns. But this current version of Zach, the UFC version of Zach, is a striker. And if he does attempt takedowns, they're Raquel Pennington-style cage. He will just lean on you against the cage, not shooting real takedowns. We haven't seen that pre-UFC wrestling in the octagon yet. And he might need it in this matchup. He's coming off that decision loss to Modestus Bukowskis where he landed more strikes, had two minutes of control, but got shut down on three of his takedown attempts. Zach can be good, does have some power, likes to move forward. Can't always trust the guy. He's taking on Bogdan Guskov. This guy's a heavy-handed guy. He likes to come forward. He likes to throw big. He likes to mix things up. When he's striking, he can be fast and he could have some very real power. He keeps his hands low, but he does have some decent footwork and nice combinations. If he does not get the early knockout or if he is not having the success that he wants striking, he will work you to the cage and try to get a takedown. On top, he's got incredible patience and control. He'll ride you out while striking, but not get overly aggressive. Everything he does looks like it hurts. And he is certainly the more dangerous guy in this matchup. It is hard being confident in Zach Pauga. He's the favorite in this fight. And it is hard to be confident in a guy like him. He can be low volume. He can be tentative. But he is very well trained. And he does have skills. He can win fights at this level if he does the right things. The problem is he doesn't seem to care. And that's like a gross overarching statement there and when I say he doesn't seem to care like obviously he cares but when he's fighting when he's in the cage he seems to have no sense of urgency he seems to have no game plan he's just sort of going with it Pauga is a good size favorite in this matchup too big of a favorite but my confidence in him left three fights ago I'm gonna go Bogdan here and even though he was dropped and submitted by Ozdemir in his last fight that was a short notice UFC debut Ozdemir is 100 times the fighter that Pauga is Pauga has all the tools none of the drive Bogdan Guskov will be the pick here and I'm going to keep an eye on these odds to see if they move to see what happens there then we have Max Griffin taking on Jeremiah Wells this is another interesting matchup I, I guess I started this whole thing off by saying this card sucks couple good matchups in a row honestly so maybe this card doesn't suck as bad as I thought it did when I was putting together the graphics and the notes because this will be interesting Max Griffin crazy tough as we know powerful striker he's got some incredible knockouts a total of eight knockdowns in the UFC and he's not even just a striker he's got solid grappling as well he averages almost two takedowns per fight most recently he took down Tim Means three times in a war he is coming off that one-sided loss to Michael Morales where he went 0 for 8 in takedown attempts but he did have some success with control. And he's taking on Jeremiah Wells. Jeremiah Wells is a well-rounded guy. He showcases striking, his power, his grappling, all of those things we've seen in the UFC. He fights like a big, powerful striker with explosive hands, and then he effortlessly, I got there, effortlessly transitions into grappling. He's a high-level, accomplished BJJ black belt. He will shoot actual wrestling takedowns, not just nerdy pull guard nonsense. He throws wild. He throws with intent. But the reality is, it is mostly there to set up his BJJ. He's coming off the come-from-behind loss 
to Carlson Harris, where he was up two rounds, clearly winning that fight, on his way to win that fight and to remain undefeated in the UFC, and then got caught in that choke, and there goes that. He now officially has a loss in the UFC, and the Henzo Gracie Philly gym doesn't have a single undefeated fighter in the UFC. They did at one point. That was their claim to fame. All of their fighters were undefeated in the UFC for a little while. Jacob is a notorious hater of that gym. I don't share that sentiment. That is Jacob's sentiment. His position, Jacob's position on that gym and why he's a hater of that gym is they are all so talented. All of those guys can do so well. And they have made zero striking improvements. None of them are good strikers. None of them have improved their striking. And again, this is Jacob. I'm not saying this. This is Jacob's position. And while that did seem to be the case for Pat Sabatini, especially in his last fight, I do think Jeremiah Wells is the exception to that rule. I think he was always the exception to that. He's got very powerful hands. He's got legitimate wrestling. He's got very good BJJ. That loss to Harris was a bit shocking, but that had more to do with Carlson Harris's incredible, incredible durability. His incredible durability. It had more to do with how durable that guy is than Jeremiah Wells. So while Max is also very durable, his punches do lose some power later in fights. So if Max is going to win this fight, he's got to get Jeremiah Wells out of there early. I don't think he's going to do that. I think Jeremiah wins. I think he will get the takedowns. I think he'll bomb away in the feet and then just start wrestling. Max Griffin's a good fighter, well-rounded guy, been around for a while. But I don't think he's going to be able to stop those takedowns. And I think Jeremiah is going to go all in on the grappling. And Max Griffin's going to lose that sting off his punches. And Jeremiah Wells should win this fight. But I will be biting my nails the entire time. Then we have Devin Clark taking on Marcin Prochniow. Devin Clark, solid grappler. He's got some well-rounded striking as well. He doesn't have the best chin in the world, but he has solid footwork and heavy hands. He looks to crowd his opponents so he can take them down. Once he takes them down... He's looking to strike and work for the TKO a little bit more than he's looking for a submission. He's coming off that guillotine loss to Kennedy and Chuck Wu, where it's important to note that he did almost have Kennedy out of there early, and he did show how insanely tough he can be. He's taking on Marcin Prochniow. This guy has been in combat sports his entire life. He has over 400 combat karate wins, not fights, wins. And an insanely long list of accomplishments. His MMA style is sort of a technical brawler. He has no problem getting into a firefight. The issue, however, is that his chin doesn't always allow him to get into a firefight. He does have incredible power, but he can be knockout or bust. He's coming off that submission loss to Vitor Petrino, where he was taken down four times and ultimately triangled. This isn't the first time we've broken down a Devin Clark fight. And anybody who's been watching us for a while knows that everything we do, we tag the fighters in. We upload these graphics to Instagram. We tag the fighters in the graphics. We upload these breakdowns to Twitter. Tag the fighters in those as well. And every single one of those videos, we're picking one fighter to win, one fighter to lose. One particular time, about a year ago, I tagged Devin Clark in the video and I picked him to lose. He was a little pissed off. He called me uneducated. Turns out he was wrong and I was right. That was in the Merzikhanov fight. I picked Merzikhan off the win. Devin Clark was beaten pretty badly in that fight. He called Jacob educated for picking him to win, me uneducated for picking Merzikhan off. So I guess I'm the moron. Luckily for Devin, Marcin Prochniow is not Merzikhan And I do think Devin Clark's going to win this fight. I think Devin can pressure forward. I think he can avoid whatever power comes from Prochniow. I think he can get the takedowns, and I think he can grind out a win. 
He is sitting at minus 190. That's a little too rich for my blood, but I am going to keep an an eye on that line and watch those odds and see if it does tighten a bit. If we can get Devin Clark at the minus 150, then yeah, that makes sense for me. I do think he will get that done. Two to one favorite though. It's a little tricky because Marcin can be dangerous and he has, as I mentioned, worlds of experience here. But Devin Clark should win this fight. Pretty confident in him to win this fight. And I will be drinking my own champagne, if you will, watching the line movement tracker to see if Devin's odds are going to tighten or widen. If you want access to the line movement tracker, our picks, our bets, and everything else we do, we want picks.com. Click become a member. It's only $10. There are no tiers. There's no nonsense. You get an entire world worth of tools, data, insight, picks, bets for $10 a month. There's not like, and for 10 more, you, no, no, $10, that's it. You get everything. We want picks.com. Click become a member. Then we have Loma Lukbunmi taking on Brunna Brazil. Loma Lukbunmi is one of my favorite female fighters to watch. She is a savage. She's got great Muay Thai, very good volume. She is small. She's a little undersized for the division, but she still has insane power. She has shown us that she can be far more than just that Muay Thai striker though. She out-wrestled Sam Hughes. She out-wrestled Denise Gomes. She out-wrestled Elise Reed. She has six takedowns, a combined six takedowns. And while her takedowns have improved greatly, uh, the other side of that's not great. If she gets taken down, she's basically just in survival mode. She doesn't have much to do off her back. She does have a 74% takedown defense, though. And she did just beat the absolute crap out of Elise Reed. She's taking on Brunna Brazil. Brunna Brazil is a solid striker. She does have her own power. She's very creative on her feet. She throws everything from Superman punches to spinning back kicks. She marches forward, throwing her whole arsenal, looking for a finish. She has takedowns as well, but they're not great. They're very BJJ-esque, meaning she'll shoot and then she'll like try to trip and pull you over the leg instead of like picking up a double, running through it or running the pipe, doing stuff like that. The problem though, is that while she is a striker and that's where she shines, it is very offensive focused. It is very forward-based striking, meaning if you're in her face, she doesn't have much striking defense. She will get hit. And she doesn't do well backing up. She does not handle that pressure well. I'm a little nervous in this fight that Brunner Brazil, the much larger fighter, 5'1 to 5'6, 65-inch reach to 61-inch reach. Brunner Brazil is the much larger fighter. I'm a little nervous that she will just big sister Loma. Basically due to her what Lupi Godinez did. But Loma should be better, right? She should be the better striker. And with Brunner's lack of ability to back up and Loma's forward Muay Thai pressure, she should be able to light up Brunner Brazil. Loma could tee off on her on the feet. I mentioned that Loma's undersized. So we're going to need her to constantly be moving, not stay still, get away from the cage so Brunner doesn't back her up and hold her there. I do think Loma Lukbunmi wins this fight. I think she is absolutely spectacular, incredible. She is so fun to watch. Her Muay Thai takedowns, the strike, all of it is incredible. And she needs a, we need an Adam weight class for her. She's just so damn small. But I do think she wins this fight. Minus 240? Skill for skill, those odds make sense. She could be a three-to-one favorite, skill for skill. But size matters, especially in women's MMA. Size matters quite a bit. And Brunas could literally just walk forward and lean on Loma. We've seen Loma work well off the cage, out of the clinch, and stuff like that. Loma's going to be the pick here. Pretty confident in her. And But this might be a live bet type situation. The one and only thing I'm worried about is Brunna's ability 
to just hold Loma against the cage or take her down and just muscle her around, ragdoll her around. When we get some round lines, over two and a half might be a sneaky good bet here. Loma Lukbunmi, inside the distance, decision, no action. We'll keep an eye on all of those. When those props start to drop, if something makes sense, we will attack it. Then we have Demir Hadzevic taking on Balaji Oki. This is one of several fights on this card with contender series guys, UFC debuts, and the UFC seems to be pushing a lot of these guys. And it makes sense. The timeline makes sense. Contender series ended in the summer. It's the beginning of 2024. Let's throw some of these contender series guys on cards. Let's give them some aging vets, see how good they are, and see who they want to invest in. And Balaji is the type of guy that the UFC seems to want to invest in. And that's why they gave him Demir Hadzevic. On short notice, no less. An older guy. And I get it. Balaji is fun. He's a busy striker. He's got a good jab, lots of power. He's going to pump that jab and set things up. He will explode into combinations when he finds his openings. He's got good takedown defense and a fast sprawl where his hips are just whoop out of there. You shoot a takedown, his hips are gone. Tons of pressure, super fast. He does tend to slow down as fight goes on, but he remains dangerous all the way to the bell. He's coming off that impressive knockout win on the Contender Series to earn his UFC spot. He's taking on Demir Hadzevic. This guy's an okay striker. He's going to march forward. He'll throw punches designed to get you against the cage, and then he's going to try to work you to the ground. If he does get you to the ground, he is all hammer. He stays very busy on top. He has lost to some decent guys like Hanato Moicano, Christos Gallegos, but his UFC wins don't hold up as well as his losses. Every single one of his wins in the UFC was against somebody who is no longer in the UFC. He is coming off that decision loss to Mark DeCasey where he was taken down eight times and he only landed five total strikes. Demir has almost triple the experience here. But I'm not sure that matters. Balaji has big power, great spalls. I think Demir's going to come forward, throw those looping punches, try to close the distance, try to work in a takedown, and I don't know if it's going to work. Those big wide strikes are going to leave him open to be countered. I think Balaji can stay out of danger, land effectively, defend some takedowns, and get his first official UFC win. When we get a round line for this, under two and a half might make sense. Hopefully it's a two and a half. Under, I think, would make sense there. I think Balaji wins this fight. Then we have Trevin Giles taking on Carlos Prates. Trevin Giles, athletic as hell. We have broken this guy down many, many times. And we do focus on his athleticism because it works. His athleticism helps defend takedowns. He probably has the best jab in this division. He's very light on his feet. He does a nice job working in that of range. He's going to throw combinations, then step out of the pocket and reset. And regardless of what the statistics say, his wrestling offense is not good. But his takedown defense is incredible. And it's because of that athleticism. He seems to always know where his hips are and he moves out of the way really, really well. He sets a good pace. He pumps that jab. He's coming off the sub two-minute submission loss to Gabriel Bonfim where he was taken down and submitted before he can land a second punch. He's taken on Carlos Aprates. This guy's a very dangerous striker. He's got big power, good range control, pretty light on his feet, and he manages to throw kicks to any part of the body that he wants. He's going to launch head kicks at the drop of a dime. He will throw spinning back kicks, and he's going to defend most takedowns that come his way. He's a very low hands kind of guy. That stance is actually similar to Alex Pajeda, where the legs are wide and the hands are low. He's not nearly as good as Alex, but... It's that type stance and that type style. He's coming off a knockout win on the Contender Series, which earned him this slot. And I do think, like several other fights on this card, that the odds are a little wide here. Protes is more than a 2-1 to one favorite. More than a 2-1 to one favorite. And I totally understand how good his kicks are, but I also understand how good Trevin's jab is. 
And that jab could be frustrating to work through. The problem for Trevin is that he's going to need to close the distance to land that jab. And closing the distance likely means he's going to eat some kicks or knees on the way in. This is a fun fight. Great measuring stick to see how good Protest actually is and if he could have success in the UFC. Ultimately, I do think Protest is going to pass that test. I do think he wins this fight. But let's not forget, Trevin Giles beat the great Roman Delize with just the jab. I didn't agree with that decision, but he hung. He hung. Before we break down the main card, let's take another last look at the safety parlay here. It continues to be a shining success. I have hit nine of the last 10. It hits at over a 70% event rate. And the lifetime ROI is 31%. These statistics are astonishing for a bet on UFC. These statistics are astonishing for a single bet on the UFC. You can unlock the safety parlay at wewantpicks.com. Click become a member of the top. It's only $10 a month. You're going to get four events for that month, which means it's $2.50 for each event. And don't forget, if you got your clock cleaned at UFC Vegas 85, we'll send you 50 bucks. Go to wewantpicks.com slash bets. Sign up with any one of the partners, make a deposit, and we send you $50 as a thank you. It's affiliate marketing. They're going to pay me. I'll slice off some of that money and give it right back to you, we on picks.com slash bets. Sign up, make a deposit. We send you 50 bucks as a thank you. Opening up the main card. We have a rebooked fight. We have Rodolfo Vieira taking on Armin Petrosian. These guys were supposed to fight three, four months ago. Fight was canceled and they've rebooked it. So let's just go ahead and run it back. We got Rodolfo Vieira. This guy is a freak athlete. He has incredible BJJ. He's a world level jiu-jitsu competitor with more than one international title. He's incredibly explosive. He's got takedowns. He's got great technique. And he can hang with some of the best people on the planet on the ground. While his game plan is always get it to the ground, he can have some success on his feet as well with clean striking. And we saw that in the Chris Curtis fight. He didn't win that fight, but it wasn't the striking that lost in the fight. It was just a constant offensive takedown attempts. The striking looked incredible. He's coming off that win over Cody Brundage where he was dropped early twice but he did show us how tough he is. He did survive. He got his own takedown and then a submission. He's taking on Armin Petrosian. Armin Petrosian is sort of the polar opposite. Rodolfo Vieira is a shark on the ground. Armin Petrosian is a beast on his feet. He's a fun striker. He does have a professional kickboxing background. He can be a bit of a brawler at times. He does rely heavily on his chin. He doesn't always have the best takedown defense, but he's got really good scramble and get-up skills. He's coming off that decision win over Christian Leroy Duncan where he just showed us good old-fashioned technique while Christian was just sort of spinning around trying to be fun. This is great matchmaking, despite the razor-thin odds here. And this fight was rebooked. Super close odds the first time. This time, they're a little wider. Rodolfo, a little bit of a bigger favorite than he was the first go. I think one of these fighters is going to look incredible, and the other one's going to look like absolute dog shit. If Rodolfo Vieira... Gets the takedowns. I mean, he's going to look like, yeah, this dude should have been a 10 to 1 favorite. Of course, look at him. Look at him. Of course. If Armin defends a couple of takedowns, he is going to light Rodolfo up and Rodolfo is going to look real bad. Whoever wins this fight is going to look incredible in this fight. And it's because of the clash of styles. I do think Rodolfo Vieira is going to win the fight. I think the gap on the ground is far wider than the gap on the feet. I think Rodolfo is too big, too athletic, and will shoot and run right through it. And now we know since that Cody Brundage fight, now we know how tough Rodolfo is. The guy got blasted, dropped, and didn't quit. He could have quit. He's been very vocal about, I don't like MMA. 
and he still didn't quit. So Rodolfo Vieira is going to be the pick. Pretty confident in him. And we'll find some really fun prop bets once all of those drop. So make sure you have linked your Discord on your premium account page so you see those props the minute we hit them. Then we have Michael Johnson taking on Darius Flowers. This is an interesting matchup because I, I'm just realizing now, I think I have said this is an interesting matchup on almost every single one of these fights. To my credit, though, I, I think that says more about how much I love MMA. And people always want to throw out the term casual. Here's a little rant. We'll talk about this fight in a second. People always want to say like, casual. Like that's like a, an insult in this space. And I don't understand that insult. What I will say is I'm quite literally not a casual. I'm doing this every single day, watching tape, breaking down fights. So I'm quite literally not a casual. But I also would say being a casual is not an insult. Oh, you casually like a sport? Good. Great. Great. What's the alternative? That's the only thing you have going on in your life. Anyway, I think when I say this is an interesting fight, I think it's because I genuinely think all these fights are interesting because I just love this sport so damn much. I started watching, I have seen every single UFC ever and I saw them when they happened. Meaning I didn't become a UFC fan when Conor McGregor existed. I have seen every single UFC since 1993 or six, whatever the hell it was. And we used to go to Queens, New York to my cousin's house and he had a de-scrambler and we would watch all the fights on the de-scrambler. Oh, there's a fight. Watch it on the de-scrambler. And this is when you couldn't like order a pay-per-view on demand. It just aired when it aired and then they just repeated it constantly and we watched all the fights. And then when the fights got weird, they weren't on pay-per-view anymore, we would go to Sam Goody. They sold VHS tapes and I'd buy all the VHS tapes and we'd watch them. Then the UFC video game came out for Sega Dreamcast and it was like the most exciting thing in my world. So I have been watching this sport. I'm 40. I have been watching for an insanely long, all 30 years that it has existed. I have seen every single fight. So I love this sport. And when I say these fights are interesting, I guess it's just me being a fight nerd. And this is a somewhat interesting matchup. Michael Johnson, 37 years old. He's old. And in fight years, he might be 198. But this guy's a tried and true vet incredibly tough competition slate. It's easy to look at the 19 loss and be like, eh, this guy kind of sucks, especially the casuals. Imagine, oh, dude, imagine being a casual. Imagine that. <laughs> Fucking loser. What are you doing, hanging out with friends? Casual. What a casual, dude. The casuals are going to see the 19 losses and be like, this guy sucks. But they're casuals. They don't know what the hell they're talking about because Michael Johnson has fought some of the best people in the world. Benil Dariush, Nate Diaz, Khabib, Justin Gagey. Skill-wise, he's pretty good everywhere. He's a talented striker. He doesn't have a ton of power, but he does have really nice footwork. He's got positive striking differential and the occasional takedown. His takedown defense is an impressive 80%. And every single one of those statistics gets even more impressive when you factor in his body of work and all the people that he has fought. He's 37 years old. I mentioned he's, he's probably legitimately 45 in fight years. He's just been in too many wars and that last really bad knockout loss to Diego Fajeda might have been the cherry on top or the tip of the cap or the... No, those are all bad analogies. Those are like good analogies. What's a bad... Might be the straw that broke the camel's back for Michael Johnson's career. He's taking on Darius Flowers. This guy's an in-your-face fighter. High, tight guard. 
He uses that to just march forward and bomb away. He will throw heavy punches. And then he'll work in big slam-style takedowns. He's incredibly dangerous, but he can be sloppy because he chases and he just works so damn fast. His tape makes him look like a wild man on the feet who is just launching big takedowns. And while that is true, he also has some solid jujitsu when he can slow the pace down and actually focus on the technique. He's coming off a submission loss, though, to Jake Matthews in his UFC debut. Michael Johnson probably has... 10 to 20 times the experience that Darius Flowers has. Regardless of the record themselves, just straight up MMA experience. He was on The Ultimate Fighter back in 2010 when it was on Spike TV. Not Paramount, it's now Paramount. On Spike TV in 2010, Michael Johnson was on The Ultimate Fighter. Let me remind you, it was 2024, 14 years ago. And here he is fighting away. Since then, he has fought Four UFC champions, if you include BMF and interim. The problem is all of that experience does come at a cost. Michael Johnson is older, slower, worn down. Darius Flowers is eight years younger. If he wasn't just knocked out cold by Diego Fajeda, like bad, that was a bad knockout, then I would be more confident in Michael Johnson because like his skills, are, he's the better fighter. His skills are there. His experience is there. But that knockout was very, very bad. Darius also hits like a truck. The pick has to be Darius for all of those factors. I don't know if I could bet on him because he is completely unproven. I did that whole ranting and raving about Julius Stolarenko all last week. Don't bet on bad fighters. Why would you bet on a bad fighter? So I got to make sure I don't fall into that trap here with Darius. Darius might be a phenomenal fighter. We just don't know yet. Darius is going to be the pick though. And if you learned anything from Muslim Salakov at 39 years old, Michael Johnson unfortunately might have that same fate waiting for him then we have brad tavares taking on gregory rodriguez another tried and true vet brad tavares has been a staple of the 185 pound division for a very long time he is 15 and 8 in the ufc and like michael johnson who i just broke down he has pretty much fought every single former and current champion or contender in the world He's a solid striker, very good takedown defense at 82%. He's got that Hawaiian fighting spirit. He's not very dangerous at all, actually, but he is well-rounded and he is impossible to get out of there. He's coming off that win over Chris Weidman where he just looked light years ahead of Chris. He's taking on Gregory Rodriguez. Gregory Rodriguez, first of all, 31 years old. We talk about it every time we break this guy down. He looks 50. Look at these, look at these two people. And if I didn't have ages on the best graphics in this space. If I didn't have ages on there, I would have said 27 and 58. That's what I would have guessed. But Gregor Rodriguez at the very, he's way younger than I am. At the very young, 31 years old, is very good. He's got very real power. Clean striking, a BJJ black belt. And even though he has that black belt, he is very capable on the ground. And just like, even though that is his, primary skill set he will bomb away he will absolutely bomb away he's got great takedown defense and he uses it to keep fights on his feet he's a big guy with power and strength the reality is he is a threat everywhere he's coming off that tko win over dennis Tolulin, where the whole fight week he said i'm gonna wrestle i'm gonna grapple and that's exactly what he did slammed the shit out of him took him down boom got that fight done and brad tavares is another guy that's hard to pick and it's really hard to pick against him because of that incredible experience and his toughness. The biggest issue, though, is that he's not dangerous. 
Brad Tavares is not dangerous. He's not the type of guy that can get a big KO late to squeak out a win, to be down a round and then find that. He's not that guy. He either wins all three rounds or two of the three rounds or he doesn't win. He's not going to finish a fight while being down. He has 15 wins in the UFC, one five wins in the UFC, and he only has two finishes. The most recent one was 2018. I love Brad Tavares, but Gregory Rodriguez is going to win this fight. His forward pressure, the big heavy punches, the wrestling. He may not get a finish because Brad is an impossible guy to finish, but I do think Gregory wins this fight, and I do think it's a somewhat dominant performance. Then we have Ihor Pateria stepping up on very, very short notice. We do not have odds for this fight either. Very short notice. Taking on Robert Burzak. And the UFC is pushing Burzak. That's why he is the featured fight of the night, even with a sort of trashy-ish short notice guy. And that was a harsh assessment of Ihor Pateria because he actually is a very good striker. He's got a loose striking style. Good power, good accuracy, but he is very hittable because he keeps his hands low and he relies on that chin. Takedown defense is not great, but he does a good job of making you pay on your way in. He has five fights in the UFC and all of them, including the two knockout wins, he was losing the striking exchanges. He was outstruck. Go look at the stats and watch the fights. He was outstruck in every single one of those fights. And again, including the two knockout wins. If he doesn't get knocked out, he's coming forward, he's bombing away, and he's going to try to knock you out. If he doesn't knock you out, well, he's going to lose a decision or get smoked. He's coming off that fight of the night knockout loss to Rodolfo Bellato, where he had a knockdown early. He had incredible success. He looked phenomenal, and then his cardio failed him. He did not have enough cardio to see that fight through. And stepping up on short notice with already trash cardio, not a great idea. Taking on Robert Burzek. This guy is a trained boxer. He takes those techniques into the cage. He's very light on his feet. He plots his way forward. He is very fast. He will faint. He will pump a jab. He keeps his eyes just dialed in to exactly what he's trying to hit. And he's not a high volume guy, but he has constant feints and big power. And that creates issues for people. He's constantly like, am I going to throw? Am I going to shoot? And people don't know what to do. And then he does throw and he connects. Solid takedown defense, but he can be taken down if you don't fall for the feints and you just shoot a clean double right up the middle. Ehor, I mentioned stepping up on short notice. And for the second time on this card, we don't have any odds yet. I imagine Robert is going to be a massive favorite here. He can hang in the striking. He's got enough cardio to weather whatever storm comes his way. Same way that Rodolfo Bellato just beat Ehor. And he's very, very good. Bellato is very good. Ehor did impress me in his last fight with just how accurate his striking can be. But he doesn't even have two rounds of cardio. So that danger of how good his price is, is how good and impressive his striking is, I'm falling apart here. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm fumbling and bumbling. I don't know if you've noticed how many hot cuts there are. That's because I just keep fumbling. And you know what? You know what the problem is? I've relapsed. So and and I don't want to say that jokingly. I've never had an actual problem with alcohol. That's Jacob's joke that I'm an alcoholic. But I did do dry January. And last night, I had a couple margaritas in February with the neighbors. And now today, I'm fumbling. It's crazy. Anyway, Ehor impressed me in his last fight. But he doesn't have enough cardio. Even if he's dangerous early, Robert just has to survive. And then Robert will take off and run and get the win. Robert is the pick. Very, very confident pick. One of my most confident picks on the card, despite being a UFC debut. But that also says a lot about Ehor. 
The confidence comes from both sides of this fight. Hopefully we get a two and a half round line. Probably not. Hopefully we get a two and a half round line and the under uh, my mortgage. We'll go on that. Then we have the co main event of the evening. Another interesting fight. Dan Ige taking on Andre Touchy Feely. One of the best nicknames in the game. Dan Ige, 17 and 7. But like a lot of the other people we broke down in this card, he fought tons of killers. This guy's a fantastic kickboxer. He's got good speed, good power. Also very good BJJ and underrated wrestling. Takedown defense looks low at 58%, but you have to factor in who he has fought. He just defended 10 of Bryce Mitchell's takedown attempts and Arkansas wrestling. He just defended those takedown attempts. And in Bryce's defense, I mean, he's relentless with him. He's a very durable guy. A tough night for anybody. He is coming off that loss to Bryce Mitchell, though, where I mentioned he defended 10 takedowns, but it still wasn't enough to avoid giving up seven and a half minutes of control. But Danny Ige is very dangerous, good takedown defense, good takedown offense, good BJJ, and worlds of composure and experience. Taking on Andre Touchy Feely. This is a well-rounded guy, and he was at one point going to be the next big thing. Andre Feely might be, I don't want to say a waste of talent just yet, because he is 33. He's got a couple of really good years left, and there could be a surge coming. But at one point, it was like, this guy, this is the next Cody Garbrandt. Like, this is the guy. Because he has all the tools. A, he's a team alpha male. So we know they're good wrestlers who have good striking. Like, we know that's a good team, especially in these lower weight classes. He's got power. He's got technique. He's got wrestling. He just doesn't really have the chin or the decision-making. Style-wise, he's a very well-rounded technical brawler. He's got good wrestling, but he gets hit way too often. You can see that in his negative striking differential. And he relies on his chin a little too much, and the chin isn't always there. He's got solid takedowns. He averages about two per fight. I do wish he used them more. I wish he did lean into the Cody Garbrandt a little more. Like, bang, bang, bang. Don't get sucked into a brawl. Shoot a takedown. Because if that was his style, he'd be blowing through a lot of people. He is coming off that first round knockout win over Lucas Almeida. If Andre comes out in this fight the exact same way he did against Charles Jourdain back in 2020, he wins this fight almost every single time. Dan Ige is a very good grappler, but he does struggle with guys that can mix in the wrestling. Andre has all the talent to be a genuine contender. He's got speed, power, technique, striking, solid takedowns, plenty of cardio. The biggest issue is his chin and his willingness to brawl. He doesn't want to get into a firefight with Ige, though. As much as he likes those fights, he doesn't want to do it with Ige because Ige has the chin to stay vertical and the hands to make sure that Andre goes horizontal. I just, that wasn't even in my script. And people who understand vertical and horizontal, I mean, good on me. Danny Ige can bang is the point. Danny Ige's got plenty of experience and the chin. So Andre needs to fight a smart fight. He needs to work in the wrestling. But to expect him to do that is a bit unrealistic. That's not who Andre is. Despite the skills being there, that's not how he fights. Danny is going to be the pick, but low confidence. And this might be the best live bet fight on the card. Meaning, while you're watching this fight, I would have whatever your sports book is open, ready to bet during the fight. Because we'll find out early how Andre is going to fight this fight. If he touch touches, shoots a takedown, boom, bet the shit out of him. This is his fight. But if they're just standing up in a firefight, then this is going to be a Dan Ige win all day. Not that he's the most powerful striker in the world, but he's going to be very technical and his chin 
Ken Hang, Dan Ige, insanely low confident. This is like a 50-50 fight. I'm going 51% on the Dan Ige side. I'll be rooting for Andre Feely, though. Been a big fan of his for a while. Hoping he puts it together and gets it done. And then we have the main event of the evening. We have Jack Hermanson coming back after a bad loss to Roman Dolidze. Taking on Joe Pfeiffer. And Jack Hermanson is a very good grappler. As long as your name isn't Roman Delize, if Jack Hermanson takes you down, he's going to be pretty dominant. His striking is solid, and he's not going to be knocking anybody out anytime soon, but he has showed dramatic improvements in his striking ability. What I like about Jack is the fact that he's going to stick to a game plan and have success with that game plan. What I don't like about Jack is the actual game plan itself. It's just wrestling, which is fine if you're a great wrestler. But Jack Hermanson has a 29% takedown accuracy. So your number one thing is let me get this fight to the ground and you only get it to the ground at baseball statistics. That's not good. That's not good. He is coming off that TKO loss to Roman Delize where it was just obvious and it's no no uh, no offense or whatever it is. No, no shading Jack Hermanson for that fight because, okay, Roman hits like a freight train. Let me get this guy to the ground. I'm a great grappler. Got him to the ground. It was just like, oh, shit. There's levels to this, and Roman, you know, showed that. That's not a slight on Jack. That's just how good Roman is on the ground. He's taking on Joey P., Joe Pfeiffer. This guy has incredible power. Great striker. He put together five wins in a row after a bad contender series injury. He hits like a truck. He uses pressure to break people. Up until that last fight, we didn't see much of him in the UFC as far as wrestling is concerned, but he did have nice clean takedowns on the regional scene and some solid BJJ. But then he came into that last fight and he pulled off an arm triangle win over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan where he also had three takedowns and he showed us that he is more than just one big heavy punch. Jack Hermanson outgrappled Jacare Souza. He outstruck Chris Curtis. He has established himself as a tough knight out. Jack Hermanson has beaten very good people. He has hung with some of the best in the division. Conventional wisdom is going to say that if Jack Hermanson gets this to the ground, Joe is going to be in trouble. But I don't even think that's true. Joe trains with a lot of very high-level grapplers, and he has had plenty of success in grappling competitions, including a win over Gerald Mearshart and Eric Anders. Gerald Mearshart, very good BJJ guy. Joe got that done. Eric Anders, BJJ isn't phenomenal, but he's a big, athletic, good wrestler. Joe got that done. I think Joe's the real deal, and I think this is a perfect stepping stone type fight to get people talk, ooh, how good is Joe? Ooh, how far can Joe go? And it's great that they're doing it in February so he could have two more fights this year and maybe end the year with like, holy shit, should Joe Pfeiffer be getting a middleweight title shot? Especially, right now, this division's all over the place. Izzy lost, Sean Strickland won, Sean Strickland lost, Drikas Duplessis, current champion, he could lose his next fight. So this division's all over the place and this is a perfect fight to get people talking about Jack or talking about Joe. And what the future looks like for him. He is slightly less than a 2-1 to one favorite right now. And I think those odds are still good. And I think you could bet and parlay Joey P. Guys, that's the breakdown. Become a premium member. It's only $10 a month. We have 10 more Saturdays full of fights. 10 more Saturdays where you could be a premium member. And have access to the detailed data, metrics, and analytics. Have access to the line movement tracker. Have access to the eight different analysts that give you picks, bets, insight. Have access to the line movement tracker, the detailed data metrics and analytics, the DraftKings optimizer, the DraftKings ownership projections, the safety parlay, everything that we do. 
for only $10 a month, and you can have that for the next four events. That's only $2.50. An event, we wantpicks.com. Click become a member at the top. It is only $10 a month.